0: Hello, this is Rick, and welcome to Conversations About Cancer. Today, Shay and I talk about surveillance. This is the period right after treatment, but before you're really done done. And you've gotta go in for scans or blood tests or that type of thing every couple months to see if your little cancer friend has come back. Now, in a lot of ways, this is a very unique period. Uh, There's some special anxiety that goes along with the scans. And all of your friends, all of your people around you kind of think that you're done with cancer because you're done with treatment. So uh, it's it's an interesting time and a time worth its own episode. This is the COVID era, so we are doing this recording remotely. Some of the audio is not perfect, but please bear with me. I think you'll find the conversation interesting and valuable. And thank you for joining the podcast. Good morning, Shay.
1: Good morning, Rick.
0: So last time we were talking about my treatment and we went into a discussion of surveillance and decided that that's a big enough topic that we should really cover. Because you're in surveillance right now still. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. uh, It's something that everybody has to go through if they have the good success of going through treatment.
1: Yes. If you're lucky enough to get here... Yeah. It's a blessing for sure.
0: Yeah. So, well, tell me about what's going on with you with surveillance. Where, where are you at and how long, how long you've been in it? And
1: So, you know, it's interesting you asked that. Somebody asked me yesterday, you know, when, how long have I been in surveillance? And I realized that I didn't actually know when to start counting. <laughs> yeah. Like when did the clock start? Um, I think they wanted to celebrate I might be uh, coming up on a, my first year of having no evidence of disease, this acronym N-E-D. Uh-huh. My, my friends and I, we lovingly refer to it as my NED self. NED. 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 I actually am wearing a NED necklace a friend gave me, um, which seems, you know, both celebratory and a little bit like, oh, I don't want to be taunting fate, right? But, um So... For me, surveillance is um, a combination of doing um, tumor marker labs. So like we talked about in the last podcast, I find my favorite phlebotomists and I go right to them every three months and they draw um, three different um, vials of, of my blood to test for different tumor markers, which has kind of universally been decided as useless for me. Mm -hmm. Um, only because um, I've had tumors when my labs were normal.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's a (laughs) test that didn't test for your particular type of cancer.
1: It's just not, like, exquisitely sensitive enough. Mm -hmm. So it's on some level, it's kind of this, like, thing, like, if it's elevated, it's definitely a sign of something bad. Mm -hmm. But if it's normal, it's not a sign of something good.
0: (laughs) Right. Right.
1: Um, So they, they follow it every three months, not really to detect anything, but to see if there's a trend line. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they just do it because they don't have anything else to do. So I do labs every three months. And then I also do a scan every three months. Um, So this,
0: the scan, is that a CT scan or?
1: Yeah, I get a CT scan. Um, unfortunately my tumor is very, very slow, um, in terms of its metabolism. So like Mm -hmm. your, your example of a PET scan with, you know, you take the sugar, whatever, wouldn't light up for me the same Mm -hmm. way that it does for other tumors. So Mm -hmm. if it were up to me, I'd have a CT scan every morning. I'd wake up, have my coffee, have a scan. They, for, you know, very good and legitimate reasons, don't think that's, you know, indicated appropriate or safe, but I would like to have a scan, you know every couple of hours just to make mm-hmm. sure we're, uh, we have our finger on the pulse of what's going on. Yeah. So, so I, do, I do that every three months as well.
0: Okay. So every three months you've got a blood scan and a CT scan.
1: Yep. And the plan is to probably do that, um, you know, at least for a couple, for, for, for the first five years.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: they don't consider me out of surveillance for 15 years.
0: Whoa. Okay. That's a long time. Yeah. So, I had a five year surveillance, mm-hmm. and the first year was every two or three months and uh it was an alternate of they would do an ultrasound on my on my testes and then they would also do a um uh x ray x ray or CT scan. So, and they didn't. They wanted to reduce the amount of radiation. Sure. That's why they don't want you to have a CT scan all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is why they would al- alternate that. Um, but I remember, especially that first year, every time I would get close to my scan, I would have a very short temper. It was, it, and, and I remember I would like you know just blow up in meetings and just be you know really angry at stuff and then I'd be thinking why am I so angry about that and I realized it was it was that underlying tension that my scan is coming up like next week or something. Did yes. you have a similar kind of emotional reaction to that?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm in the middle of what I call anxiety right now. I have my uh-huh. ne- I have my next scan scheduled in 10 days and uh-huh. I notice and um just at baseline I am not an anxious person. And so mm-hmm. um and I I got to tell you, this whole cancer thing has really, like, introduced me to what it must li- be like to live with anxiety every day.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: let me tell you, it sucks. Like, it is for the birds. I hate it. Um, mm-hmm. This is not my normal state of being. But, yeah, I'll notice um, I don't get angry. I get kind of this, like, f- like pit in my stomach, flutter, and then my brain goes to, like, really dark places. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, obviously, you know, I get random tings and twangs and you know pains all the time and Mm -hmm. it's really easy for my brain to dismiss them when I've just had a scan Mm -hmm. that was clear but now that it's been some time my brain loves to be like well it's probably it's probably tumor
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I would have that same kind of thing I'd go on a bike ride and my back would hurt because I was on a bike ride and had muscle pain but then my brain would go oh man the tumor's back yeah
1: of course. I mean, your brain, is amazing to have a front row seat to what your brain can do, right? Like how quickly it can fill in all of these gaps with worst case scenarios because the worst case scenario already happened to you.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, you're, you've got this schedule of every three months for at least five years. Yeah. And, and then, um, so I'll tell you for me the first year was kind of the hardest from an anxiety standpoint okay. and um, you know maybe it's one of these things where where time time is healing on there
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but absolutely for the first year i I would have that anxiety for all of all those scans and and all that um, Do you know other people that are in the surveillance stage right now and do you chat with them about it and do they see the same kind of thing
1: i do i do i yes i have a couple of um people that i'm connected through through different kind of venues um that have been in various like parts of this chapter right so i've had friends who have been in surveillance and you know every three months they get anxious and then it's fine and then um some of us have gone back for scans and you know, there was more cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, um, and I don't know if I went into this in one of my detailed kind of stories, but my first post-chemo scan showed a tumor. Right. So, like, I I never got to have, you know, this chapter of, like, oh, good, it's over. Let's, you know, kind of get back to normal. And then in surveillance caught something. My first surveillance surveilled something. Yeah. I don't know if that's a word.
0: I think it is. Yeah. (laughs) I knew what you meant.
1: (laughs) So, um, yeah, so I have some friends, and um, actually a good friend of mine um, is in a similar boat where her her labs were useless, but she's getting them done, so she had them done on Monday, um, and she's really worried because they saw something in her lungs Mm -hmm. um, at her last skin, and they they don't want to do anything with it, so now she's waiting to go back for a three-month, like, recheck to see if what is in her lungs is still there and if it's grown Mm -hmm. so she's just been living with the last three months just you know kind of holding her breath being very 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 worried
0: right yeah 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 that 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 is a concerning thing yeah so so one of the things that would happen with me on these scans so um it and to, to refresh your memory, or whoever hasn't heard the previous podcast here. My, in my case, I had testicular cancer, but there was not a source tumor in either testes. However, there was like calcifications or something there, which aren't tumors. It's just, you know, it's just something that shows up when you do an ultrasound as looking strange, right? And so every single time I would go in to do the scan of the ultrasound and they would do the ultrasound and then the person that did the ultrasound would have this concerned look on their face, and they'd say, "Well, hang on, I'll be right back, right?
1: Oh, I hate it when they say, "Hang on, I'll be right back."
0: Yeah. Oh, it's know, the worst.: It's terrifying It's terrifying. Then they would go out and get you know get somebody else, then they look at it, and then they'd somebody else, and then they'd say, "Well, I think it's probably okay, but it's like it would happen every single time, and it just causes all of that all of that anxiety about do I, do I have?" Oh, do I have something here or not? And it's, I, I think know it's, I've,
1: ne- I've never wanted to be more boring in my life. Like, I don't want you to even remember me by lunchtime. Like I want my scan to be so run of the mill that you don't yeah. need to call anybody or it's not interesting. I want to be not interesting.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 But it, 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 it is a, it, it's definitely an anxiety, uh, causing event. Right. And it, comes up every every few months
1: so you went from every couple months to did they then space it out
0: yes I went from every I I, I think it was like every two months and then it went out to like three months and then it went out to six months and then uh stayed at six months for the for the first five years and then after five years in my case they said okay you're you're you don't have to come back
1: like okay You're in general population again.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: When did the anxiety about it coming back go away or has it?
0: Um, Yeah, I, I I don't really have anxiety about return of cancer. Um, I mean, I, I kind of figure I'm going to, I mean, something's going to get me, but it's not going to be, it's not going to, it's probably not going to be that right. not going to be my cancer that I had 20 years ago. Um, In terms of when did I stop being anxious about it uh you know it's probably a exponential decay curve that first year is there's a lot of anxiety second year a little bit less and third less so I think it just kept decaying I th- I would say you know yeah, there, there's sort of this returning to normal piece that, that sort of goes along with surveillance right of okay you're no longer in treatment but you're not not in treatment either, right? I mean, you're, you're 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 no longer you don't have cancer, but you didn't not have it, right? Yeah, and yeah, and and I think the surveillance period coincides with trying to get back into a into a normal life, and uh, you know, part of that is controlling your anxiety along with the surveillance, so that you don't just blow up at people in meetings for you know saying something stupid. Um, and, and part of that is understanding how to have other people feel comfortable around you again as a normal person. Right. Um, and I had this one experience that I don't know if you had a similar experience. So I was out of work for three months, four months when I was getting my chemo. Then I went back to work and, and I'm had the role of a, I'm a, you know, sales exact or whatever. And I have this meeting with my customer and, and, uh, there was a new person at, at the customer, the new manager at the customer, new VP or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, and everybody was like, Hey Rick, it's really great to see you again. You know, you know, it's really great that you're back at work and everybody, everybody else knew that I was out with chemo. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one manager who was new had no idea that I was out with chemo. She naturally thought that maybe i was out on vacation or out doing something fun and and so she said well it's good to have you back what, what were you doing and i said well you know it turns out i had cancer and i, I was out with chemo and like the whole room went silent
1: yeah i love doing that
0: <laughs> and it was like oh whoa i gotta be careful with this you know because uh, and, and then i had to figure out okay how do i how do I bring back kind of a normal conversation from there? It was like I'd driven down this cul-de-sac and, you know, how, where do I go from here, right? So so you had similar experiences with that?
1: Oh, I mean, I just love to just make it really uncomfortable for people just because, you know.
0: Because it, you had your not? own discomfort. and well, Let's go ahead and share it, right?
1: <laughs> well, there is an element to me around uh, trying to, I feel, feel like, you know, people treat you so differently that I would love to just stop that like right. I would love and you know whether you're going through it or you've gone through it this idea that people are like, hesitant to talk to me about it or don't want to bring it up and, and it's like on some level I would like to kind of normalize the discussion so that it's not this like taboo topic like let's it, it I, th- I think about it all the time so mm-hmm. like don't worry about bringing it up like I'm already thinking about it like, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal Um, and it was a significant thing that happened to me. So, um, I want to talk about it in the sense that it could happen to you and I want people Mm -hmm. to be aware of it. And and it's a little to the, to the function of kind of demystifying it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like we talked about before, like getting a diagnosis of cancer or going through chemo are kind of often used as like examples of like extremes mm-hmm. you know like well at least they don't have cancer or at least they're not going through chemo like right. there's something around just like the more you can normalize it and talk about it it helps people for the eventuality that they or somebody in their life is going to go through it to realize that it's not like it really isn't this like other thing that happens to other people that you you can't learn about like it's mm-hmm. not that bad
0: right yeah, I I agree. I th- I think I had a similar approach in wanting to be open, talking about it, to to normalize it um, as much as possible. And and uh, but that that meeting, I mean, it really still sticks out in my head. It's like, oh, whoa i i should I should be aware of the power of this word. Is what yeah, it is, right? You're right.
1: You're you're more tactful than me. I just thought it was hysterical.
0: Well, it yeah, it is kind of funny. And and sometimes I would use it. I was, being aware of the power of the word um, gives you gives you agency over when to use it and in what way, right?
1: Right. With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, yeah. But I do, I do feel like I was just looking right now on my phone and I couldn't find it. But there, there is this kind of sentiment that that someone said better than I. So I'm going to kind of fumble with my words here, but just like. I do think that in general, as soon as treatment was over, Mm -hmm. people kind of treated me like, oh, it's over. Mm -hmm. And in some ways that chapter was very much over. But this new chapter that I'm in, which hopefully to your point, will like kind of slowly fade into a new chapter of like feeling like it's over. But this like post-treatment cancer patient, world is a very, very lonely place.
0: Mm-hmm. It is, right.
1: Because everyone kind of is like, great, it's done. Like, that was awful and uncomfortable, and I felt weird talking about it. So I'm super glad that it's over, personally, so that I don't have to have uncomfortable conversations with you anymore. And I get to pretend like life is back to normal, but my life is not back to normal. hmm Like, internally, like, I don't feel like I can go back to normal yet. Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of treats me like, you know,
0: like, like you should be normal.
1: And I right? think they—they they very much want it to be normal. Like, great, we can just talk about normal stuff again. And, and again, I want—I—I I want to be—I want people to talk to me about like their life and what's going on. But just the ability to kind of like make plans mm-hmm. and, um, like assume that everything's going to work out fine like it it like i'm just not there yet
0: right yeah so like earlier you talked about um freezing embryos and all of that for a long-term planning and yet if you're at the stage of every three months having anxiety over scans it's kind of hard to think about that kind of long-term planning right
1: Exactly. That's exactly, I mean, of the big plans, right? There's that. And then there's Mm -hmm. also just like, Hey, do you want to go on this vacation? Like, yeah, I do. But Mm -hmm. FYI, like I very well might not be able to.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Getting, getting into normal, whatever that is. I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely a different world after you've had a disease like cancer. Um, even after you've had that successful treatment and you're in the middle of it with that surveillance, right? There's always, we're, we're sitting in COVID we're recording this right now while COVID is a big thing. Right. Right. And I think everybody kind of has in the back of their mind, this, this thing of COVID and there's almost like a terrorism aspect of this. Just like after nine 11, everybody was like, Oh, you know, what, what's the next thing going to hit? And now with COVID everybody's like, Oh, you know, what's going to happen. But that's, Kind of a permanent part of your your mind when you're in surveillance, right? As a right. cancer patient, right? Right. And uh, learning how to learning how to live with that underlying anxiety is is something that we all got to figure out how to live with, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's something like there's a there's a gun pointed at you, and you don't know if it's loaded or not,
0: right? You Thissorted. know, you just
1: live with that kind of like it could totally be out of bullets, right? But there's still a gun pointed at you, which it right. wasn't pointed at you before. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I don't, and to your earlier point, like, every, every time I have a pang of, you know, or a cramp or a pain, and then I have a clear scan, like, I'll learn. My brain will learn, like, that pain doesn't equal cancer. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, over time, I will become less and less, like, um, hypervigilant but i do I, I do feel like this this chapter is so weird because no one's thinking of you as a cancer patient anymore but you i still feel like one
0: right yeah yeah that makes sense so what do you do for i guess the self management of the anxiety
1: yeah i mean luckily I'm, I'm a psychotherapist so i like have a whole toolbox of like how i manage it and what works for me in terms of Like changing the way I think, like catching myself in those thought patterns and changing them and then changing my physiology around just actually like lowering my heart rate and breathing differently. And, um, you know, when I catch myself in those kind of anxious loops and then there's just a full like truckload of stuff that I just do that I kind of consider like my daily vitamins of like managing anxiety before (laughs) it starts which is around just like, how do I get appropriate sleep and appropriate exercise and eat appropriately? And I'm a super social person. So how do I connect with people that matter to me on a regular basis? And so yes, it's COVID era. So how, how do I actually not bother my husband constantly? Cause he's my entire social life right now, right. To like mm-hmm. connect with people that matter to me so that I can get that kind of, you know battery recharged so that I'm less vulnerable to anxiety. Mm-hmm. right? So there's a bunch of stuff that I consider kind of like re- reduction in my vulnerability factors, and then there's the like, okay, but then even even though I reduce my vulnerability to anxiety, when it does strike, I have some you know additional kind of as needed things that work for me. Yeah. And then I'm also just nice to myself. Like, I give myself permission to, like, of course you're anxious. Like, that's allowed. Yeah,
0: yeah I think that's important. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's important to be nice to yourself, to forgive yourself on that. Yeah, I, I after, after I noticed this pattern that I had in terms of, you know, the, the, the anger that came with the anxiety for me was I would put something on my calendar, like, 10 days or a week before, saying, your scan is coming, don't, <laughs> don't be angry, right? <laughs> just, just, a, just a reminder, because I think a conscious awareness of what's there, what I found yeah. is this, this, this emotion, this anxiety is there unconsciously. And if, you can, and if you can make it conscious, then you can do something about it. That's, that's what I found worked for me.
1: Yeah, I do. I think that's true. And I do notice, at least with my friend that I was telling you about, she reaches out to me. Mm -hmm. she tells me her scan dates and her lab results and all that stuff. And I think she was saying, I think she likes when her husband doesn't see her as a cancer patient. Mm -hmm. So it's easier for her to reach out to me, someone who is also, um, you know, goes through a similar kind of roller coaster because I can relate to it. And then also I, I don't like, I don't have any other role in her life other than to be her kind of like ovarian cancer buddy. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there's something around um connecting with other people whether they, you know, whatever works for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important. I, I I and I had I had some of that as well in uh in some other other cancer patients that were going through the same type of thing about when I was. And and I think we talked about this before. There's like this disconnection that happens. Like you're, you're going along life, life is normal, and then boom, you get diagnosed, and all of a sudden, you are disconnected from that normal world that you were a part of like a week ago. Yes. And if you can reconnect into a, another world with other people that are going through what you're going through, it's very helpful. And I think the same is true at this stage of things, when you move from treatment to surveillance because, like you said, it, 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 it's, a, it's a weird state. It's not that you are, you're not, not going through treatment anymore, but you're not done, right? And, and it's hard to find someone that really can understand that, that difference between um, you know, knowledge and understanding. And, and having someone that has lived that experience, you can find someone that has that understanding. And that does allow you to, to reconnect to, in, a, in a more healthy way.
1: Completely. And and I wouldn't trade this chapter for any of the others. Like the f- diagnosis to figuring out what y- you're going to do about it to me was absolutely the worst chapter. Yeah. And then there's the treatment chapter, which comes with all of the things that everyone like, knows suck. Like it's scary and it's physically hard and all that stuff. But then this last chapter surprised me in that on one level it was scary, especially at the beginning, because we're not doing anything about the cancer anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, right. the, tre- the treatment, at least, was being proactive, and now I'm not, I'm sitting here, like, not proactive, like, I'm not doing anything. Right. And I didn't like, I don't like that feeling at all. It right. feels like you're sitting on a battlefield, like, not, you know, like, with your back exposed to the enemy in some level.
0: Right.
1: Um, and then, and the world doesn't really understand that, that you're living with this, like, anxiety of the other shoe potentially dropping at any given moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it very much is like a terrorism kind of psychology, right? There's,
1: Interesting. I agree.
0: Yeah, it, it very much is like that. And, and other. it's hard for other people to understand it because they haven't lived it, right? But if you're with someone that has lived it, then they can understand it. and, and uh, But you're, you're right. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, it, it is really just like kind of the post-9-11 stuff where this thing happened, and now what? And will another one happen or not? And and you're not actively doing anything. You're just sitting around waiting and seeing if something happened.
1: Well, yeah. and it's interesting because I've actually, when and we can talk about this in more depth, I'm sure we'll need to do a whole new set, session on this. But when I um, found out that my chemo didn't work and I had that second tumor, I was like, I'm going to do everything. And so I ended up... Also, seeing a uh, nat- like naturopath
0: uh-huh.
1: um, who specializes in oncology, and she's giving me all sorts of stuff to do- to decrease my chance of a recurrence.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So I do feel like I'm doing something,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which for whether it you know it's there's a placebo effect or whatever, like it feels good to be like I'm I'm actively trying I'm like taking measures that are going to decrease my likelihood that that next scan sees something.
0: Yeah. So you're doing that right now. You're currently. I am. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of things is the, natu- I can't pronounce the name, the, the natural path?
1: Yeah. I'm doing all sorts of weird stuff. So I'm taking a bunch of really expensive supplements, which is fun and easy, um, just expensive. And then, um, she has me, she recommended that I go back to, um, Um, acupuncture which I haven't been doing partly because of just this COVID thing and it seems like it's an unnecessary putting Mm -hmm. myself you know in the hands of somebody else and then I did for a period of time and stopped mostly because I ran out of supplies but I was doing injections of mistletoe
0: whoa wow yeah. Injections of mistletoe. What what, is it? <laughs> what effect does that have? Does it make your husband want to kiss you all the time?
1: It does, yes. Uh-huh. And, yeah, it's holly jolly. It's wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, it, it is, um, interestingly, it's fairly well researched. I looked it up, and, you know, there's NIH-funded studies that have demonstrated its efficacy in stimulating your immune system. Interesting. So, The idea is, uh, and I'm also doing um, time-restricted fasting, Mm -hmm. which is also showing really interesting and very preliminary benefits around cancer. So the idea is, how do we increase the likelihood that your immune system is fighting any cancer cells that you have? Because we all have cancer cells. Um, So there's the, and then also, what are we doing to kind of weaken those cancer cells? Mm -hmm. So my understanding of this time-restricted fasting is that it starves your cancer cells of the sugar that it needs to divide, so they are weaker, and then it also strengthens your immune system so that it's more likely to be successful at fighting. So it both weakens the enemy and strengthens your Mm -hmm. army all my metaphors seem to be militaristic lately. I've (laughs)
0: noticed it's a, it's a battle, right? Right. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I think that's a, that's a very helpful, helpful path to go down. Um, and it's easy to forget that the first line of defense against cancer is in fact, your own immune system, your, your, your immune system gets rid of cancer cells all the time. And, um, Anything you can do to help it is probably just a, a, you know, one more little, little help. It's probably a good thing, right?
1: And if no other reason than the psychology of I'm doing something Mm -hmm. and I have a little bit of control over, um, you know, how the, the trajectory of, of my course and if, if nothing else, if it comes back, knock on wood, I need some wood in my house, um, That I, I won't kick myself,
0: right? I think that's I think that's wise. Yeah, I. So one of the you know who knows why you end up getting you know the cancer that you get, um, and you'll never know exactly why. But I look back at my experience and I realize that at the time that I got sick, it was at a time of. Um, uh, a lot of stress. I had a lot of stress at work, and stress is known to you know hit the immune system. Um, and so, one of the things that I did in kind of post you know post cancer treatment stuff is is really try to do some management of that stress, right? Um, both in terms of eliminating myself from those situations if if need be, or by just telling myself you know you don't really need to stress this much about this or by simply going out and riding my bike and you know finding other outlets that would would reduce it i think that's in general a you know a good thing to do and if for someone going through surveillance that has that anxiety finding a way to manage that stress is probably a good thing and would go it goes along with kind of what you're you're doing of just strengthening the immune system right
1: yeah, I am curious. I mean, we could maybe even have this as a different podcast, but like how has cancer changed your life? Like it sounds like you have a different perspective
0: oh, or clear. a different priorities. Yeah, yeah, clearly. Yeah, that would be a good it would be a, let, let's save that for another episode. I think we can both interview each other on that because I think it's uh it's certainly one of those life-changing things that you can't you can't you can't quickly uh yeah, I should down. probably
1: think about that. But there is an element of don't waste a good crisis, right?
0: There is, yeah. Yeah, there is. So uh, your next scan is 10 days. Yeah. Best of luck to you.
1: Thanks. I feel, you know, it. It. it I have the mentality of, like, uh, you weigh what you weigh, you might as well step on the scale and know it, right? Like, I either have it or I don't. I might as well just look.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the right attitude. I think it's the right attitude. So we're about we're at about a half hour now. Um it seems
1: like a good digestible amount of time?
0: It it does. So let's let's think what, what next we'd also talked about um going into the second opinion thing. I think let's let's save that for our next podcast episode and yes. let's explore what you your journey because I think there's a lot there for everybody. The tour. Yeah.
1: Great. All right. Looking forward to it.
0: All right. You have a great day, Shay.
1: You too, talk to you soon, Rick.
0: Bye.